be advised, we understand some of the content of this presentation may be emotionally triggering in nature. Please listen as you feel comfortable. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast episode with Tusk Against Trafficking. I'm Jocelyn Hampshire, and I'm here with Robin Bowdish and Molly McMath. So welcome back, ladies. Here, another, here again for another episode. Today, we want to talk a little bit about understanding um, the stories of those who have been trafficked or, or maybe being trafficked. Um, hopefully, that we can tie into some practical things that we can do that can bring hope and encouragement and support um, and understanding to this issue. So um, I know right off the top of my head, um, sometimes it's, it's hard to understand the situations that people find themselves in. And so you can hear about um, the woman who was arrested for prostitution or charged with prostitution. And you right away, you know, think, well, she chose to be there, you know. That's her choice, and um, or we hear derogatory names flying and that kind of thing. Um, you might hear about the kid who just keeps running away. You think, bad kid, making bad choices, troubled kid, you know. You might hear about the student who's falling asleep in class every day, and you're like, well, they're apathetic. They don't care. You know, they don't care about their future, their education. Um, you might you might hear about or... or um, you know, have the foreign national who is working in really dangerous conditions and working long, long hours uh, out of the norm. Um, and so we think, well, they're most likely here illegally, so really they don't deserve much help. So we just kind of, we assume, we put our perceptions in there um, when really there's more to the story and that may not be the case at all. Um, so that's what we want to talk about today is just understanding and in hearing some of these stories. Uh, Rob, Molly and Robin, just either one of you, I would love to hear just your thoughts. Um, what are some truths uh, that would help us understand that there's more to someone's story than what we may know or what we would assume? What are some things that, that you want to share um, just from your experience and what you've seen um, that would bring some understanding? I know. So when I think back to the many um, survivors that I've worked with um, over my career, and these are survivors of domestic violence, um, sexual assault, trafficking, um, what happens to them is horrible and it's traumatic. And a lot of times we as a community, or we focus on what happened to them. And we look at what did they do to get out? Did they do it soon enough? Did they ask for help? Did they report it soon enough? We really kind of try to dissect that bad thing that happened to them. In reality, a survivor is so much more than that event. Um, they have a past, whether it's a child or an adult. They have a past. They've had a um, experiences, life experiences that have happened to them. And they are a whole person. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's so important that when we are hearing about survivors, right, um, of human trafficking, 
it's so important to try not to just focus on what physically may have happened to them. There's so much more to their story. And uh, when we start trying to learn more about their whole story, I think we can appreciate them as a person and how they have been able to survive so much more. Well said. And I want to add to that um, when you mentioned, Jocelyn, about the, the bad kid who mm-hmm. runs away uh, continuously. I, th- I think sometimes we miss the fact that I don't think really think any teenager wants to be out on the street on their own trying to find their own way. I think they end up there because of the situation they're in and they don't see a better way. Mm-hmm. That's their best possible solution that they have to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes an unstable home life, sometimes past abuse. Um, but but whatever the reason or it might be current abuse, whatever the reason, um, the bottom line is that that child, that youth is putting him or herself in risk, at risk of being trafficked because they're making the wrong decision, but that to them that's the right decision mm-hmm. at the time. And so I, I'm particularly thinking about some Facebook posts that I see when people share, if you've seen this 14-year-old who ran away, um, please contact, you know, the, the local police or, you know, call the mom or the parents. Um, and there are always people who get on there and comment about, wait, I thought I just saw this post. This person runs away all the time. You know, they just, they, they need to be told they can't do that. No, we need to look at why is that child running away Kids don't run away because that's the best solution they have. That, in their mind, is the only solution. Mm -hmm. And when we start to pass judgment on them, we just add to their defensive stance and postures. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I just think we we don't know whether we don't know the situation behind it. And that's the first question I think of is, you know, if it's a chronic situation, it's like, okay, what? What are they running from? Mm-hmm. At the same time, we have to be careful too that you know we're not just making it. Well, chronic runaway. They're we're blaming the parents. It's just that whole idea of not rushing to judgment, but knowing there's more to this story. We're dealing with a human being, like you were talking about, Molly, not just an event. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I think too um, when I think about um, you were talking about Molly about abuse um, that they've come from. Um, they have a life, they have a life history of experiences. And I think too, you know, it's interesting to know that, um, almost 80% of women, you know, in what looks like adult prostitution, uh, were trafficked as young girls. And so I think of familial trafficking and a little bit, the difference of that from maybe as they grow up, if there's a boyfriend that gets involved or a trafficker that, that, you know, does the boyfriending grooming technique when you're trafficked in the family, I mean, um, there's been generations of that happening. So, you know, there's no healthy boundaries taught, you know, you're sexually abused as a little one and perhaps raped as a teen, but that's, you're, you're groomed for that, um, that, that you're groomed for trafficking. And so I think that this is what our expectation for you. And I think, so that's really important to remember that, um, when we see women that maybe are, are, or, you know, people that are being arrested or charged, it's like, wait, 
um, I don't necessarily think they're choosing to be there. You know, right. there's much more going on here um, than, than meets the eye. Yeah, I think it's so important to, like what you said with being trafficked at a young age and how then you may see them staying in or entering into um, trafficking or prostitution as, as there's a question of prostitution actually exists. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but, you know, are still in that as an adult. And again, it's looking at the whole person. And so, you know, I think back, we were all raised, right, in, as, a, as young children by our parents. And um, how many of us do things a certain way now, even though we're adults, um, whether that's keeping your trash can in the kitchen in this in a certain area or um, cooking a certain recipe a certain way because that's the way your parents did it and that's how you were taught and and you continue that's that. your normal that's mm -hmm. your normal but now imagine if you had parents that taught you that unhealthy relationships mm -hmm. are is okay in this family mm -hmm. you know um, and so it's just so important to look back mm -hmm. at those life experiences and understand and put it in a, in a perspective like, like I just did there with, you know, where you keep your kitchen trash can could depend on where it was growing up mm -hmm. in your, in your mm -hmm. family home. And, um, yeah, so mm -hmm. just to add to that, mm -hmm. what you were saying, Jocelyn. Mm -hmm. And I, this quote just sticks in my mind when we talk about human trafficking and it came from one of the many webinars I've been part of since the COVID-19 crisis. And so I can't recall exactly who said it, but um, during one of the webinars, one of the presenters said, I don't care. There are no little girls or little boys who say, you know, I think I'm going to be a prostitute when I grow up. Mm -hmm. It is not something that's in their vocabulary. However, if if that child does not have an understanding of healthy relationships and healthy boundaries, that may well be their future. Molly, you had brought up um, the adult prostitution. Can I mm -hmm. quote? <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So have you guys heard the term? It's the oldest mm -hmm. um, yes. profession. profession. Mm. I that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I've been to a lot of trainings, um, over the years on trafficking and the overlying theme, um, is that that idea of prostitution, right? We, you have this adult that goes out, they decide where they're going to work, uh, kind of going back to, um, the movie Pretty Woman, mm -hmm. you know, I say who, I say when, I say where. Mm -hmm. um, it just, it's very rare that that would exist in today's world. Um, trafficking is a billion dollar industry. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So the idea that um, people in authority who want to control this industry and prosper from it are going to let people go out and work on their own without taking a cut of that money is just not realistic. 
a billion dollars will drive a lot of people. Um, so we, we have been taught that that idea of prostitution very rarely is somebody out there doing that solely, solely because they want to. They have the option not to, and they have the option to stop anytime they want to. They get 100% of the money. They answer to no one. Um, it just is very rare that it would exist in that way. Mm-hmm. Even if it's identified, right? Even if it's called prostitution, mm-hmm. um, I just think we have to maybe consider that it's not how it seems. Mm-hmm. And maybe we need to challenge our perceptions, our mindsets a little mm-hmm. bit um, and think think a little bit of big picture. Okay. And not right. call it a profession. It's, it's a, big, not. It's a b- yeah. big business. It is mm-hmm. a big business and it is the large second largest growing business in the nation at this point. And it's a business where um, once you recruit somebody, whatever that recruit looks like, may mean giving them drugs to be part of your um, your stable. It may mean that you've coerced them um, and promised them a better life and then turned it into something out of, out of a a horror show. Um, but however you've gotten that person involved, um, you, you have that person, you can sell that person multiple times a day, you know, every day of the week, 365 days a year for however long that person stays in your control and you want to keep them in your control. Um, it's not like drugs where you sell the bag that, of, cocaine that you have and then it's gone it's money that you make over and over and over and like molly said it's not that there's um it's not that this person is is getting all the profits is is doing this on his or her own this person is under somebody who's probably got somebody over him who's probably got somebody over him um there's a layer and so that's how this ends up to be a a a million dollar business. So going back to, um, you know, a person's past history, their experiences, um, do you guys like have any stories or know of any situations that could help us understand again, some maybe some of the push pull factors of why people may end up in situations that they do? So, um, you know, my staff at Compass have had um, a number of opportunities to work with survivors of human trafficking um, within our service area. Um, Because we are a confidential um, agency, um, I can't, and and nor would I even want to divulge any personal information there on those cases. But what I can say about it is... um, it's again, knowing their full story. Mm -hmm. And so many of them have suffered, um, past abuse, financial burden, um, just struggling financially. And those factors make them at risk and vulnerable Mm -hmm. to human trafficking. And, and we have seen that a lot, you know, within our agency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, you know, think back to how many of us have had 
a time or multiple times in our life where we have struggled financially, mm-hmm. you know, or we have had some past trauma. It might not have been abuse, but it was trauma of some kind in our past that has made us vulnerable now. Um, and so these were all people that never pictured themselves mm-hmm. in, in human trafficking. They didn't one day call our crisis line and say, I think I'm being trafficked. They didn't even really recognize mm-hmm. what was happening to them because it just happened so slowly and so controlled mm-hmm. um, playing on those factors that make them at risk. Mm-hmm. And so again, when we talk about supporting our neighbors and supporting our community, we're, we aren't probably going to go out with a mission to stop human trafficking today. But if you can see somebody who maybe is at the store and struggling a little bit at the register to pay, are you able mm-hmm. to help them out? Mm-hmm. You know, are you able to provide some babysitting time for the single mother or anything to help ease some of those push-pull factors mm-hmm. that make someone at risk? Mm-hmm. Good point. Go ahead, Robin. And I think those those push-pull factors are um, kind of warm and fuzzy type things, but I, th- I think, too, the drug addiction piece yes, that's um, a big one. is huge. And so when we talk about the different layers of human trafficking, this mm-hmm. is certainly one of the layers mm-hmm. where parents will um, traffic their child um, for drugs or money to buy drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I did want to mention uh, just in March of this year, uh, there was a 69-year-old man in Wheelersburg, Ohio, which is a really tiny town. It's probably, I, I don't know, maybe um, 8,000 people in that town, really small. Um, he was arrested for sexually abusing children, and um, how he was doing it was uh, giving their parents drugs, finding these drug-addicted parents and then trading drugs for these young kids to come to his house. Um, so that's one of those push-pull factors that um, just really makes us squeamish. You know, how could somebody do that kind of thing? But that, unless I think we understand that addiction, um, mm-hmm. we, we don't have a clue how that happens. Mm-hmm. And again, then we create horrible layers of trauma for that child. Mm-hmm. I think of to the uh, 17 year old survivor who actually escaped her trafficker and but doesn't have any documentation, doesn't have any money um, and gets away, but she's got to live. She's got to feed herself. She's got to take care of herself. And so she goes back to, you know, um, being a sex worker because she says, that's what I know. That's familiar. That's what I've got, you know? And so I think we don't have to agree. You know, you think about, well, I don't have to agree, but I can understand Mm -hmm. why. Um, And that is huge. If, Mm -hmm. if we can put ourselves in people's shoes Mm -hmm. and make some of those similar analogies, um, you know, that we were talking about, you know, um, maybe times are hard and I don't necessarily want to do this specific job, but that's what I know to do, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I think that's just really important that we can understand 
um, again, the whole story. And, mm-hmm. and I, when we understand, um, compassion goes up and judgment comes down. And I think um, that's, that's one thing. We talk about what can we do? What can we do to help combat human trafficking? And it's some of those things that Molly was mentioning, you know, the very practical help out. But I just think that is the first thing is empathy, understanding. Right. Um, so, And I think we've had that as a common theme through um, almost all of these podcasts, if not all of them when we get to the end, is that um, be, the kindness goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Just being kind and non-judgmental. Uh, sometimes just listening um, and not reacting, which is really hard to do sometimes. But we don't understand what kind of trauma these people come from, uh, what their lives were like, what their circumstances were, and what their whole story is, just like you said, Jocelyn. So let's talk a little bit about, let's, we've kind of segued into this already, um, but what's an action step that we can take? Um, you know, I think understanding people's stories, uh, we've, we've made that clear. Um, getting to know people, um, Molly, you had talked about, you know, easing the burden um, when you know someone's story and what they're kind of dealing with and facing to help ease some of those burdens. Um, I think of intentional relationship, I think, and it goes along with that, of, of building relationship, whether that, again, is through um, a mentoring program like we have it toward the goal, like Big Brothers Big Sisters has, uh, whether that's formal and organized, or whether that's just intentional relationship and you're being consistent, you're you're seeing a need and you're stepping in, and then maybe letting that relationship form organically, but but being um, a safe place. But again, just just stepping in and, and being intentional, building relationship. That that's what really hits me. Um, one thing that we can do. Can I put you on the spot for a minute sure. with that? Yeah. So for the people watching and listening to this who maybe have never heard the term intentional relationship okay. mm-hmm. or letting it build organically, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. For me, um, intentional relationship is, I think that, um, we. let me just back up and say we all want our lives to matter. I think that we all want to do something to make a difference. Um, we've been talking about you know, human trafficking, what can we do? So I think that we can all choose to live with intentionality and people being the most valuable things or valuable assets. I don't know what you'd want to, but being the most valuable resource we, we have, um, is then I want to spend my life being intentional with people. And so that intentional relationship to me is slowing down enough to be aware of the needs around me, to be a, to be aware of the people around me, um, and then making an effort, marking it in my calendar. You know, today I'm going to make a phone call to so-and-so because they've been on my mind. Taking a meal to the single mom next door because I know times are tough. Um, but it's, it's marking it down. It's being intentional. It's planning it. It's doing it. Um, that and doing that with consistency and over time really does build relationship. And that's where it can start very organically. You don't have to set out with, okay, this is my agenda and this is what I have in mind and we're going to become best friends or I'm going to become her mentor. It's just being kind. It's being intentional and being consistent so that, hey, she knows or he knows I'm a safe person and that I truly care. And so then if there's um, relationship that builds from that, 
awesome, you know, and that, but it started very organically um, and not like I had an agenda. It was just taking time to care about somebody. So uh, does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. I love how you say, um, it's okay if you have to make sure that you carve that time out, if you have to put it on your calendar. That doesn't make it um, less honorable. No. Well, you know, Molly, if we, I can only speak for me. (laughs) If it's not on my calendar, Mm -hmm. I won't do it, right? If I don't plan for it, it's going to, oh, I've got other things to do. Mm -hmm. So that's one intentionality. I have to put it down or think about it in advance and say, okay, I'm going to do this. How can I make this happen? So it's being intentional. It's just mm-hmm. living living life that way with what really matters most to you. And but you know, just for our, our the people who are listening and watching, that's it's okay. It's okay that you have to put it down in a calendar and be purposeful in mm-hmm. making time to reach out to someone. Um, it's okay, and that that's still it's great that you're making that effort. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. It is, and I think that's with our you know with our mentoring program. Like we always tell our mentors, hey, if you're too busy right now, if this is a busy season of life, please don't sign up. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. unless you can be intentional and carve out these, this time every other week, mm-hmm. that's great, you know. But but that's huge to be consistent and intentional because otherwise it's, you know, you can't build that relationship, obviously, and build that trust and rapport. Um, so um, I think there's something, too, that um, – when we're tying this in, that's why we do the, um, the mentoring program is, you know, I wish I had a mentor when I was younger and I didn't have one. And so that is kind of sort of passion in me, um, to walk alongside kids that were coming from broken homes or they can be anything. It can be anything across the spectrum. Some kids want to just grow in leadership skills. Some kids want to, you know, I, they just need emotional support. Some kids, um, you know, times are, uh, like grades are, are, tough and they're struggling in school. So they just want some of that um, help with that. But it's just really cool. But anyways, to be intentional, um, that kind of thing too, it's, it's very preventative and proactive in providing uh, students a safe place um, and a voice of encouragement so that they don't or that there there's more support there and more resource so they might not get pulled into some unhealthy relationships or um, harmful situations. But, um, but that being said, I think it's interesting as we talk about intentional relationships, even with youth, that I was listening to a, a lawyer, a Milwaukee-based lawyer, uh, the other day, and, and she was just talking about how she had, had come across this survey, and I, I didn't get the name of the survey, but she said a survey found that most youth who were trafficked uh, said that the one thing that would have made the most difference was if they had one adult in their life that provided unconditional love and support to them, just one person. And I know in our mentoring program, we talk about there's a Harvard, a Harvard study uh, that came out, you know, that said um, every child who winds up doing well has had a relationship with one caring adult. Um, so it's just, it's mm-hmm. that mentality that I think it doesn't even have to be just human trafficking. It's, it's, you know, when you, again, you think of some of your life experiences your hurts, your pains, um, what it meant to have people to come around you to support um, and walk with you. It's powerful. Yeah, and any of the research that I've read indicates that if a child has a trusted, at least one other trusted adult in his life, he or she will be more successful. Mm -hmm. So if as you add those trusted adults, I think you increase their ability to be successful. And I, I want to take that a step further back to what you and Molly were talking about with 
the single mom in the mm-hmm. store struggling or mm-hmm. uh, taking a meal uh, to your neighbor, why would we think that um, anybody wouldn't be successful, would, wouldn't gain success from having a, another trusted mm-hmm. person in their life who's who can be that non-judgmental person, who can be intentional in being available for them. Um, I, I feel like sometimes we get so caught up in our lives and we think, wow, you know, that person has a lot of trouble. I, I don't think I really can go there because I can't, I can't take that on myself. But the reality is you have the right to set those boundaries and you have the right to develop a, a very caring relationship outside of that. And that's important because you want to model healthy. We want to be healthy and we want to model healthy relationship. And so it's very important to have those healthy boundaries and not enable or, you know, mm-hmm. so. I think when we were talking about um, being intentional and carving out that time, and Jocelyn, you made the comment about um, you tell your mentors if you don't have time right now, that, that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can go back to to anyone that if you don't have the time right now to help, you know, um, build a relationship or whatever, the other option is just don't do harm. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, there's things that we can do that can help change the culture mm-hmm. of our community, the rape culture that exists, because every community has, has rape culture, right? Mm-hmm. And there are things that we can do that will change that culture without having to do anything. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, when you hear the joke that's sexist or, um, you know, just inappropriate, don't repeat it. Mm-hmm. Don't laugh at it. Mm-hmm. Like that's not taking any additional time mm-hmm. uh, that you don't have to give. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see a Facebook post that's inappropriate, just don't share it. Mm-hmm. Just don't comment, the, you know, the, the laughing emoji. There's simple things that you can do that can make a huge impact on our culture that really will not take any any amount of your time. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I think um, I think you know again, we talk about making a difference because we've we've heard that you know how can I help? How can I help? How can we make a difference? And I think just those things that you just mentioned are are powerful. Make a difference. Um, and they, they're caught by other people, you know, they're modeled. Um, so those people that see you not passing that on or see you not laughing at the joke or whatever, um, it's modeled and it's caught and it's, it says something, uh, makes people think. Um, so think how quickly a joke can die if when it's told nobody laughs mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, getting back to, um, empathy and, and building relationship. Um, I think we all have a choice, right? I think, um, when we hear another person's story, um, we do have a choice whether we're going to lean in and, um, get closer and understand or try to understand and, um, ask some questions maybe, um, and just listen, or we can, you know, bow out, back away, um, but I think it's really important to remember that leaning in toward others, um, and maybe it's just valuing the person, like Molly was saying, by not passing something on, but leaning in, that's how we change 
our world. That's how we change our community. That's how we make it a safer place. Um, just by cultivating empathy and understanding um, and not passing judgment, but having more compassion. Um, so I think that's, that's important to, to remember. Um, empathy is powerful, and we need to cultivate that in ourselves and in our kids. Um, so. Okay, so what keeps us? What keeps us from building relationship? We talked about busyness. I mean, let's, let's, I mean, everybody's busy, right? You hear people talk and I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And we get that, you know, um, there's a lot to juggle. Um, but I think that's where we are. Like we talked about before, we're aware of opportunities around us. Um, we kind of wake up to uh, hearing things like this and go, okay, who are the people right under my nose? Who are the people in my neighborhood? Who are the people in my workplace? Uh, whatever it may be. Um, but I think it is that, taking time and being aware and seizing those opportunities. Um, do you have any thoughts about what else keeps us from building those relationships? Sometimes I think it's just our own judgment, uh, neg or negative thoughts or negative perception, um, and thinking that maybe a situation might put us in a, another situation that's just too overwhelming. Uh, for us um, so we tend to just close that door and um, walk away mm -hmm. when the reality is if we could lean in mm -hmm. and also get another neighbor to lean in and another person um, that support increases dramatically and and doesn't put that pressure on mm -hmm. us as one person mm -hmm. that's important that's a great point Robin mm -hmm. I think maybe to um hesitation to come outside of our social circle right we we tend to spend our time with people that are like us who we have things in common with mm -hmm. who we know right and so we're asking people to come take a step outside of that mm -hmm. and maybe talk to somebody who you normally haven't spoken with before or or you know, just differences that you typically maybe wouldn't reach out to. And I think it takes courage. I mean, let's just talk. I mean, mm -hmm. because there is some fear involved. I'm uncomfortable. What if I don't know what to say? How do I relate? Those kinds of things. But if you can just take that first step of courage and be kind and extend a hello or do whatever, um, it's so cool because I think of the times in my own life where I was intimidated or um, didn't really like a particular person why? Because I had judgments, I had uh, mm -hmm. assumptions, and th the way I saw things. And it was interesting when I actually got to know the person, we had so much in common. Mm -hmm. It was just really cool. It's like, yeah, it was just very challenging, very eye-opening to me that if I take the time, mm -hmm. I'm going to learn a whole lot and become a better person um, mm -hmm. from somebody else. But, but they're, excuse me, they're not an enemy. They're not... Um, yeah, somebody that is is just I can't relate to. There's a lot there in common. Um, my one of my favorite quotes was from Abe Lincoln, um, and he said, "You know, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better." Mm -hmm. I love that quote mm -hmm. because it's just so right on. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's something too. Um, I think it's a challenge and an encouragement for us just to take that step of courage, mm -hmm. and we may find something that's just you know pretty cool. So. I think another barrier sometimes, too, is that the person um, that you're trying to reach may, um, may not be receptive 
to what you're you're offering. So you might say hi, and that person may ignore, may appear to ignore you, mm-hmm. or not speak to you. Um, and you might think, well, I'm, you know, that's it. I've already, right. I talked to, I tried to talk to him. I waved at him, and he, he just went right past me. I'm not doing it again. The reality is um, that that person you waved to was under tremendous stress trying to get somewhere was in a zone and not paying attention to what was going on. So sometimes I think it, it it takes consistency and we don't feel that need to be consistent. We are judgmental from the beginning and saying, Hey, I, I threw up my hand, you know, he didn't want to wave back. We want that immediate Mm -hmm. reaction. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Point. So, okay. Um, What happens when we build healthy relationships? Um, What are some of the things that you guys have seen just in your own building healthy relationships or even as as a bigger picture, as a community? What do you see? I I think that when we reach out and, and build healthy relationships with others, we create a behavior for people to model, which is huge. And you mentioned something along those lines earlier. Um, that's huge. Mm-hmm. It's uh, we become role models mm-hmm. in what we're doing, mm-hmm. whether we want to or not, mm-hmm. and most of the time not. But um, but people see that and then say, "Oh, gee, hey, you know, I think I I could do that. Mm-hmm. I could I could I have this great casserole recipe. I can mm-hmm. bake that and take it next mm-hmm. door." Sure, sure. I I can just imagine the change that could happen in a community. When we try each day to put empathy at the forefront of our thoughts and in, when we're interacting with people, um, you know, a community that can support one another, mm-hmm. um, a community that wants to change, you know, the rape culture that exists, who wants to be a community that supports survivors, um, imagine what that would mean for survivors wanting to come forward, mm-hmm. knowing the support they would feel mm-hmm. if they were to report or to tell their story, that they would be accepted, that they would be embraced for doing that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that would be so impactful. Mm-hmm. I, I think back to a really powerful story when I worked with family and children first about a a single mom that we were working with who came to this area, um, and this has been a long time ago, but she had two two little kids. Um, one of her neighbors um, became somewhat of a mentor to her, became a friend with her. Um, she began going to church and taking the boys to church with her. Uh, she embraced the church. The church embraced her. Um, and, and I'm not saying that the church was the answer. I'm saying that it created a community for her. Um, and I think that was important. Um, she, she was able, somebody had a bicycle they gave her. She actually rode the bike to work because she didn't have a vehicle. Um, she had neighbors come in and help her as she developed those relationships Um, What a huge sense of community. And she was committed to giving back to each and every one of them. 
in whatever way Mm -hmm. she could. Mm -hmm. Um, Just an amazing story Mm -hmm. of what that kind of uh, support, how that can build resilience in a family. Yeah, I believe that. I love that too, Robin, because she was experienced it, she lived it, mm-hmm. and now she wants to do it. Mm-hmm. And we see that, you know, with mentoring statistics, it's incredible. Like, nine, if you're mentored, 90% want to go on and become mentors, mm-hmm. and they do. And it's just really cool what we're seeing, the hope. I see mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what comes out of building healthy relationships um, because each one of us has gone through hard times in some form or fashion. And mm-hmm. when someone can come along and speak life or or encourage us or give us an opportunity or, uh, you know, a, a foot up, so to speak, mm-hmm. even, it's like I have hope again. Like I can operate again. And then I want to do that for somebody else. So it more, you know, it's it's modeled, it's caught, mm-hmm. and then we, we can teach mm-hmm. it. But Anyway, so I just, I think that's so cool. We see that um, the hope um, with our students, you know, grades go up by one and two letter grades, Mm -hmm. confidence builds, Mm -hmm. uh, kids are, you know, stepping out and doing job interviews that they've never done before, Mm -hmm. um, trying out for extracurriculars that they've never tried out before, Mm -hmm. and they make it. It's just, it's so cool to see um, kids that don't have maybe a lot of support at home, a mentor steps in and takes them through a process of filling out financial aid forms or Mm -hmm. kicks them on a college visit just that kind of stuff invites hope it ushers in hope Mm -hmm. that okay you know um so i think that's what i see it can be one person one safe individual that can step in and help and then it's even better when you've got community and multiple people Mm -hmm. come together like you were Mm -hmm. saying um so it's a beautiful thing so okay anything else you guys want to share or as a takeaway what you want listeners to Take maybe one thing away today. Um, I know that we talked about a lot of stuff, but is there one thing? I think like what Ellen always says, be kind. Be kind. <laughs> and every, she ends every episode with be kind. I think that's huge. Molly, anything you want to share? Yeah, I I would just say, remember to, to try to learn about the whole person. Um, it really, when, you, when we can take the time to learn more about a person than just one thing that happened to them. Um, it just really builds relationship. And I would encourage all of us to be aware this week. Um, slow down a little bit, look around, um, take some time to notice who's around you and maybe one thing, just one little thing you can do um, that extends kindness, that extends safety, um, that communicates um, that communicates that, that you're a safe person. Um, so that would be my, my encouragement for me, I know, and for um, each one that's listening. So wouldn't it be interesting? We mm-hmm. end uh, each one of these podcasts asking people if they have any questions to submit them. But I think we would love for people to also submit what's the one thing they did this week. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear what's that's the one awesome. thing that you did to, to spread some kindness or empathy or just a helping hand. Awesome. Great idea. All right. Hey, thanks for tuning in again today. Um, Again, submit your questions, whether that be through our website, tuskagainsttrafficking.org, through our email, info at tuskagainsttrafficking.org, or on Facebook, so Tusk Against Trafficking. So thanks so much for uh, listening. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate you both very much. If you would like to 
contribute to anti-trafficking efforts in Tuscarawas County, you can send your donations to Compass at P.O. Box 481, New Philadelphia, Ohio, 44663. Please be sure to indicate human trafficking in the memo line. We appreciate your partnership in this work. Together, we can make a difference.